0: Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how saving the whales could help us combat climate change, how Jupiter has rings, yep, Jupiter, and why reading in the car makes you car sick. Plus, stick around for a major
0: announcement about the future of Curiosity Daily. It's pretty important. Like... Very important, pretty important.
1: Yeah, you should probably listen to it.
0: Yeah, but for now, let's satisfy some curiosity. Usually, people think about fighting climate change in order to save wildlife. But what if wildlife could help us fight climate change? Well, that might be possible when it comes to whales. Our giant swimming friends could be an all-natural way to sequester carbon. You see, each great whale accumulates about 33 tons of CO2 in their body during their decades-long life. And great whales refer to any of the 13 species of ginormous cetaceans out there in the ocean. When they die, they sink to the seafloor. And all that carbon remains deep under the sea for centuries. But that's not all. It turns out that whales have a multiplier effect on carbon sequestration because of, well... Their poop. Since whales are mammals that breathe oxygen, they need to return to the surface to take each breath. And that's where phytoplankton live. Phytoplankton are tiny water organisms that use photosynthesis to generate energy from sunlight and carbon dioxide. And it turns out that whale waste is an excellent fertilizer for them. It contains important nutrients like iron and nitrogen that are essential for phytoplankton to thrive. Now, even though they're tiny, phytoplankton have major impacts on the environment. They contribute more than half of all the oxygen in our atmosphere. And in the process, they capture about 40% of all CO2 that's produced. That's more than four Amazon rainforests. Talk about carbon capture. Areas that great whales frequent are havens for phytoplankton. By increasing the whale population, the amount of phytoplankton will increase with it. Even a tiny 1% increase in phytoplankton would capture a huge amount of carbon, as in the same amount as 2 billion mature trees. Now, although whaling is already illegal, human activity on the oceans is still dangerous to great whales. They can be hit with our sailing ships or caught in fishing nets, and plastic waste and noise pollution also affect the health and longevity of the whale population. As a result, several species are on the brink of extinction. Keeping these great animals safer could keep us safer too, by reducing CO2 in our atmosphere and slowing climate change. There's no question that animals can have a major impact on the natural world and their ecosystems, and whales are no different. So let's just hope that we can help them come back from near extinction and roam the oceans again. Not just for their sake, but
1: for the sake of the whole planet. Everyone knows which planets have rings. It's Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. But there's one more you may not be aware of. Jupiter has rings, too, although they're so faint it took a spacecraft to find them. Until 1979, astronomers had no idea that wispy rings of dust and rock particles encircled our solar system's largest gas giant. That's because they aren't like the rings of, say, Saturn, which are made of relatively large pieces of ice that reflect sunlight. Instead, Jupiter's rings are made of minuscule particles of rock and dust, some as small as cigarette smoke particles. That makes them dark and nearly impossible to see from Earth. In fact, they're only visible when viewed from behind the planet and illuminated by the sun. Though future spacecraft could learn much more about the rings, We do know that there are at least four. There's the main ring, the halo ring, which merges gradually into the main ring on one side and extends halfway toward Jupiter's cloud surface on the other, and two gossamer rings, which are the faintest of the group. So how did they form? Well, observations by the Galileo spacecraft in 1995 confirmed that they came from Jupiter's moons, probably due to dust kicked up from micrometeor impacts. This makes sense. The main ring is right around the orbits of the moons Adrastea and Métis, and the gossamer rings are near the smaller moons Amalthea and Thebe. But rings don't last forever. Jupiter's rings need constant replenishment from micrometeors hammering these moons for them to exist. If the impacts were any larger, the dust thrown up would be pulled back down to the moon's surface. For Jupiter's rings, only the finest dust will do.
0: Like sands in the hourglass. (laughs) For some people, long car rides can be pretty boring. And if you're a passenger, it's tempting to crack open a book or scroll social media to pass the time. Well, unfortunately for a lot of people, that poses its own problem. Car sickness. Around half of car passengers say they've experienced car sickness in the past five years. And if you count childhood experiences... That number is even higher. And that makes you wonder, why does reading in the car make you nauseated? Well, the answer is kind of strange. It's because your brain believes you're being poisoned. This tendency to feel ill on the interstate may come down to our caveman brains struggling to catch up with modern technology. Here's what I mean. Normally, when you're in motion, lots of sensory systems are taking in that information. Your eyes are measuring the distance you're covering. Your muscles are moving, and the fluid in your inner ears is sloshing around to tell your brain about your speed and position in space. Your brain takes in and interprets all that sensory information with a pair of egg-shaped structures called the thalamus. Everything is fine when your brain is taking in the same information, like say when you're running down the block and the action of your muscles matches the speed you're moving, but when you're reading in a car, your inner ear knows you're moving, but your eyes and muscles are at a standstill. The message your thalamus gets is that something must be very wrong. And back before we had vehicles, this mismatch could only mean one thing. You've been poisoned, and you're probably hallucinating. To your brain, there's only one way to get rid of the poison, and that's vomit. Of course, we don't all lose our lunch when we're sick. The stakes are different for different people. Some can handle cars and trains, but not boat rides. Others are fine in the back seat, but they'll have to look out the windows. That can help their brains reconcile that they're actually moving by taking in external information. So if you've never experienced motion sickness, consider yourself lucky. If you have, then it might be time to catch up on your favorite podcast. That does give you a whole new appreciation for your car's speaker system, doesn't it? Okay, so that's it for today's stories. And we'll recap what we learned today in a minute. But Ashley and I have some news to share with you. And you might want to sit down for this or pull over if you're driving. Now, we have some really fun brand new episodes of Curiosity Daily all set and ready to go for January and February. We're going to start 2022 with a bang. So get hype. But at the end of this month, Ashley and I are both going to be leaving Discovery and will no longer be working on Curiosity Daily.
1: Yeah. We're going to close out the year with a few more episodes through this Monday, and then the show will take a little break for the holidays before new episodes come back starting Wednesday, January 5th. And that all might lead you to ask well, then what's Curiosity Daily going to be like in March after you've heard the rest of our episodes? Who's going to host it? What's it going to sound like? Well, thanks to a linear progression of time and space, we don't know. Because that's in the future. And according to science, we can't predict the future.
0: Yet. We can't predict the future yet, Ashley. Yet. But what we do know is that you'll still be able to hear us for a couple months. So, you know, don't touch that dial, as the kids say. Or as the adults say, I guess, because kids don't know what a dial is in this context. But anyway, Ashley... We still have a show we're supposed to do, I guess. So we should probably get back to that and maybe recap what we learned today.
1: (sighs) Yes, let's recap what we learned today. Well, we learned that whales could help us fight climate change. Not only do these huge animals capture carbon themselves and take it to the ocean floor when they die, but they also encourage the growth of phytoplankton. And phytoplankton capture as much carbon as the Amazon rainforest several times over. Keeping whales safe could help to keep humans safe by reducing CO2 in the atmosphere and slowing climate change. Yeah, don't make
0: Captain Kirk take his crew back in time to save the whales again. Star Trek IV was a great movie. Oh, yes. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Great movie. But uh, yeah, we don't want that to happen in real life.
1: Right. And that's not even to mention Space Whales, as depicted in the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and in Doctor Who. They had basically the same plot for one episode. It was really weird. Wow. Nice references. I have very few Star Trek references, but that's one of them. There we go. <laughs> and speaking of space,
0: we also learned that Jupiter has rings, too. They're made up of much smaller dust particles than Saturn's rings are. So they're basically only visible from behind the planet when they're illuminated by the sun. Jupiter has four rings. There's the main ring, the halo ring, which is kind of an extension of the main ring, and two gossamer rings. Scientists are pretty sure that all the rings come from dust kicked up by micrometeor impacts on Jupiter's inner moons. Pretty fun stuff. I'm spending a lot of my time on the moon these days because Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker is out, and I took two days off of work to play it. And uh, I feel great about
1: it. I I just, I I feel like I don't, Well, actually, you know what? I might know more people than I thought who take time off of work to play video games, but you're the only one who's been honest about it.
0: (laughs) Am I the only one who planned four days off when the initial early access was supposed to happen on November 19th and then emailed his boss to say that he needed to change his days off because the release date of the game had been pushed back
1: two weeks
0: yeah, I didn't tell her that was the reason.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, you know, your time off is your time off. It's totally fine to take time off for whatever reason. But yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be <laughs> that honest about it.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I generally am unapologetically me. So here we are.
1: <laughs> and we learned that reading in a car makes you car sick because your brain thinks it's being poisoned. Usually when you're in motion, your muscles, your eyes, and your inner ear are all taking in the same information. But when you're in a car, especially when you're reading, your muscles and eyes are at a standstill, but your inner ear still knows you're moving. That mismatch tells your brain you must be hallucinating due to a poison, and the only solution is to vomit, or at least get really close to it. I thank my lucky
0: stars I don't have this issue, do you?
1: I do. It's gotten easier as I've gotten older, like... I definitely puked in the car when I was little. Ew. But yeah, I I get it every so often. And, you know, you just got to look out the window. Stop reading. Just look up.
0: Yeah, it's tricky for me because I am fine reading. So if I go to like visit my parents, it's like an hour drive, right? So my wife will drive. Well, since she's driving, she gets to pick what we listen to. She gets to pick the podcast. But if I'm driving, she can't read because she gets car sick. So she needs something to do. And so therefore, when I'm driving... She gets to pick what we listen to. (laughs) So I basically uh, just uh, have to look at my phone. Uh, Yeah. As if that's like a real complaint. Uh, No, I love driving places with her. It's great.
1: What's her favorite podcast?
0: Hello from the Magic Tavern.
1: Oh, nice.
0: It's the funniest. Very Chicago. Funniest podcast ever made. Improvised. It's so good. It's definitely in my top five. It's just so good. Nice. Another good podcast, Curiosity Daily.
1: Oh, oh, Interesting. Yeah, I, I listened to that one. Yeah? yeah? The hosts
0: are really funny. The guy's kind of weird. He's really obsessed with video games, but... He,
1: he is. He really is. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Got a perfect five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It
1: does. Yeah, It's, a, it's theme song could use some work, but <laughs> <laughs> that's something that I've believed for many years now. It doesn't sound like they're changing it, so it's fine.
0: It's better than the initial theme songs I proposed when I sent the entire staff like 30 options and half of them were dubstep. And they all got a zero on the <laughs> on the zero to 10 scale.
1: I don't think this one was even on that list, was it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's like a free piece of Creative Commons music that somehow ended up lasting more than a thousand episodes. Uh, never, Never think that you need to have a huge budget to get things done.
1: Although I was very touched in a rehearsal one time when... A friend of mine just sat down at the piano and started playing our theme. And I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> it was it was a very cool moment. Suddenly I liked the theme a little bit more. <laughs> today's writers were Brianna Brownell and Anna Todd. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer on today's episode. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. Save the whales, then shave
0: the whales, <laughs> then rave about the whales. And then stave off the whales. And then join us again tomorrow to learn something new in a whale of a minute.
1: (laughs) And until then, stay curious.